You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing cutting-edge energy management software for battery optimisation, virtual power plants and distributed energy resources. And Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and its associated website, One Step Off the Grid and EV Focus the Driven. And joining me as usual is David Leach from ITK. How are you, David? I trust you're well. I'm well, Giles. Trust you're well. Uh, looking forward to the Smart Energy Conference later this week. But before that, we've got this uh, great guest who I've been uh, looking forward to having on the uh, podcast for years. For years, for years, absolutely. Um, look, um, this week, uh, well, last week, we saw the closure of the Liddell coal-fired generator, and this week we saw the results of the first auction of the generation and storage that is going to replace or help replace the entire, well, we expect the entire coal fleet in New South Wales, the biggest grid in Australia. And the results of this tender were announced by AEMO Services, which is the organisation entrusted by the New South Wales government to manage this process. And joining us is uh, the Head of Commercial at AEMO Services, uh, Brad Hopkins. Brad, thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. Giles and David, um, yeah, delighted to be here and thank you very much for having me on. Well, thank you for making yourself available because there's some pretty spectacular results coming out of this uh, tender and also some questions as well. We've seen very low uh, strike prices for generation and we'll probably get that to later on. But we've also seen one of the most remarkable things, um, um, a battery ringing winning a tender for long duration storage. Um, I'm not too sure how surprised we should be about this, but basically you guys had a long duration storage tender looking for at least eight hours of storage. And I guess everyone probably thought, oh, well, pumped hydro will be the go or maybe one of these other technologies. And a battery has popped up with eight hours storage. It's not a very big battery, but it's a battery all the same. <laughs> um, Brad, um, it's... Um, I think it's the first of the kind, definitely in Australia. It's probably one of the first of the kinds in the world, I suppose. I'm not too sure. Yeah, our our intel is certainly that it's the it is it is the first of a kind globally, um, where we've seen a chemical battery be able to step into into that space. And um, we were we were enthusiastic um, when when we saw the project. Um, not only can it help with um, supporting that part of the grid, but it can meet some of New South Wales's a modest amount of New South Wales's long duration storage requirement. Um, so yeah, delighted to have been able to support that project. And I guess it's interesting because batteries up till now have just really been focused on grid services, frequency control and things like that. So they've had a very short storage times, one hour and maybe two hours as people start to move in towards that sort of energy arbitrage. This battery, and I should have actually just mentioned, it's the Limondale battery in New South Wales near Balranald. It's going to be built next to an existing 250 megawatt um, solar farm, uh, the Limondale Solar Farm. Um, both projects, the existing solar farm and the new battery are owned by the uh, by RWE, which is this massive German utility. Um, a couple of interesting things about this. One, we'd just love to know what the sort of pricing details were for this battery and how it is that it's beat um, what we presume was a handful of pumped hydro projects um, competing for it. And I guess the other big question that's come out from people sort of talking in the market is, you were looking for 600 megawatts of capacity, but you've only allocated 50 megawatts. Can you explain that? Yeah, certainly. 
Um, so, so both those those points are, are related. The the um, so when we said six hundred, um, that was intended to be deployed over um, four tenders, so over over a two year period. And in the in the material we published, we bought ourselves that that room. And what we said to the market was that if compelling projects come forward, and if those projects offer really good value to New South Wales electricity customers then we will make a decision to, to support those projects. Um, if there's no projects in, in the first tender that are capable of um, providing that value to customers, then, then we won't. And, and we, we, were, we were very purposeful in buying ourselves that flexibility because what we found looking at precedents around the world is a lot of schemes meet their energy objectives. So they'll hit a volume target, they'll get, they'll get a sufficient quantity built. Um, but they are less good at hitting their financial outcomes and delivering good financial outcomes for consumers in this case. And so we've been very disciplined about what we've um, what we've awarded. Part of that um, discipline means that there's means making a judgment about what is coming forward in those subsequent tenders. And so the New South Wales government has been. Um, to diligent and correct in supporting pumped hydro projects through early stage development, um, through the pumped hydro recoverable grants program. We're expecting to see more of those pumped hydro projects come through. Um, and for those projects to have done the work to be able to compete effectively in our tenders. And so we've got time to do that. Um, and and we've, we've certainly allowed for that in future tenders, Giles. I guess the question is about sort of time. I guess, you know, it takes a long time to build a pump hydro project. Um, there's questions, you know, can New South Wales build enough generation, and build enough storage to make sure that it's got adequate capacity and supply for when the coal-fired generators come out? Because if anything, they're going to come out quicker rather than slower. So, um, sh you know, what sort of, you know, um, is, um, is, is, is this, you know, potentially a problem if, we, if we're not encouraging? I mean, or, or are there just no pumped hydro projects just ready to roll at the moment? The yeah, so I, I think there's a there's a range of things that are impacting the supplier projects in that sector, and um, so so one is that it it just takes time to effectively develop a pumped hydro project to the point where you you are capable of estimating how much revenue you need, how much revenue support you need, um, and and we've seen projects make fantastic progress um, over the past two years in New South Wales. So really when that program kicked off, the New South Wales government signaled to projects that um, they were willing to take that early stage risk, that they felt that this was a really important part of the deep storage solution. And um, so the judgment that we make when those projects come forward is, are they ready? Um, are they ready for consumers to take risk on the delivery of that project? Are they ready for consumers to take risk on the financial support that we're going to provide to that project? And um, in this tender, the, the judgment was no, they're not yet ready. Um, I do think, though, that with the, the, you know, the work the New South Wales government has been doing, um, there will be a lot of projects ready over the coming, coming 18 months, and, and those projects will be capable of, of participating very competitively in our tenders. Um, we're also encouraged by the, the, so the current New South Wales government announcement around um, the potential to provide additional financial support to those projects. So we haven't seen details of that fund emerge that was announced by 
the Labor government pre-election. But again, that's another another leg up for the, the pumped hydro sector that we think will be important. And, and that's the Energy Security Fund, is it? Or the Energy Security Corporation? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Brad, I, I should, I should hand, yeah, I'll hand over to David. No, off you go. Uh, Brad, I, I wanted to turn back, if I could, to the... Um, Tessa side of things, the variable renewable energy, the wind and the solar. And I think the uh, there are a couple of things I want to clear up, I think, for our listeners. Uh, but could I just start with the overall objective, which I think is to have 12 gigawatts constructed by the end of 2029, uh, including what's already built? Is Have I got that more or less right? And uh, I guess the overwhelming thing is about the transmission. I was looking at the various many documents on, on, the, on the roadmap site, and uh, one of them seems to indicate that, for instance, the Irana zone, renewable energy zone, which is the, was the first one originally, won't have its transmission ready until 2027, which means essentially not much coming from that zone before then in the way of energy? Um, there's, I guess there's two elements to those renewable energy zones. So one is there's a geographic area um, and then there's a there's a, a local community, a sort of civil society in that area that said, um, no, we're happy to host renewable energy. And um, so what we've seen in this tender, uh, actually quite a lot of the projects, I think 1.1 gigawatts out of the 1.4, are geographically within renewable energy zones, within the, the physical boundaries of a renew, renewable energy zone. Um, and and that's that's um, important. So social license in the energy transition is critical because if communities don't want the infrastructure, they will push projects into lower resource areas. So the first element is um, that, that geographic spread of projects and 1.1 of 1.4 gigawatts are in renewable energy zones. Um, the, the second element is the, the sort of the, the greenfield transmission that's being built that my colleagues in the New South Wales government are, are working on. And, and I, ha I have, um, I'm not close to that process, David, um, around that procurement process, um, but I have seen that 2027 date as well. And so, yes, that's when we would expect um, those projects to be commissioned and connected um, within, that, within that renewable energy zone. And we'll time our activities to to make sure that those projects can be progressed contemporaneously with the, or commissioned at the same time as the as the um, new infrastructure that's built. I, I want to get to the Altessas, but I just I think the point I'm trying to get to is that we want to have this 12 gigawatts constructed by 2029, but uh, not much energy can come from the new projects that are built. Uh, prior to the transmission being ready. So, so it seems like there's going to be a heck of a rush towards the end of the decade, and there may still be a few years here in New South Wales uh, where we're trying to juggle uh, the transition. Yes, look, I, I think the, the juggling act, um, and so a juggling act while we're climbing a mountain um, is probably how I would describe it, David. And so in that, in that juggling act, um, there's broadly three sources or three categories, if you like, of, of new generation that we think about at AEMO services. So absolutely, there is the um, transmission connected infrastructure that's being connected to new built reses. I think the, the, there is an inevitable need for a lot of new transmission to be built. 
um, that has all the characteristics of large infrastructure projects and all the challenges associated with that. And we, we, we work very hard with our colleagues in New South Wales government to, to try and make that happen as, as quickly and as low a cost as possible. Um, but that's a big part of, of what we're trying to achieve. The second part is um, the, the existing transmission network and, and what's been really encouraging is we have seen um, projects come forward in this. So all of the projects in this tender are connecting under the open access regime to existing transmission. Um, they've been clever with um, project configuration, clever with augmentations and other things to unlock new capacity in that, in, in that existing transmission network. And then the third, the third part of the juggling act is the distribution network, and um, the DNSPs are doing some excellent work to to think about how they can make their networks a very significant part of the solution in New South Wales. So I certainly think about it in those three buckets. All of them are critically important. Um, to an extent, they all risk mitigate each other um, and all have a very significant role to play. Great. Uh, I'll hand back to Giles in just a second. And I just wanted to make an observation that I drove past the New England uh, solar farm, my home area, on, on the weekend to have a look at it. And of course, it's the El Tessa uh, has, that's been awarded is for the full 720 megawatts, whereas only formally, I think, 400 megawatts has been announced so far. So that's just one thing. But uh, I guess, and the other point I'm going to make is that under the El Tessa uh, program, we're going to see you know, essentially a gigawatt more or less every six months being awarded in El Tessa, but not coming on until the end of this this decade. You know, a lot of it is sort of the way I'm thinking about it at the moment. And perhaps you want to comment on that. But I'm hoping you can just explain to our listeners some of many of whom may be confused about uh, a purchase power agreement where the government's guaranteeing a price for every megawatt hour that's produced. As, as compared to the uh, innovative El Tessa structure in New South Wales, which is more or less a, almost an insurance product for, for when there's an oversupply and prices are low. Not that we're likely to see much of that in the next few years. Yes, yeah, no, that, that, that's exactly right, David. Um, maybe just to touch on a couple of those points before I talk about, about that substantive point. So um, we, we welcome all projects to our tenders um, that weren't yet committed at um, I think it's no, 11th of November um, 2019. So that's the cutoff date. And so you can get um, projects that are early stage. You can get projects that are built um, coming to our tenders for LTESs. The and, and then that raises the question in everyone's minds of additionality. So why why is the government supporting a project that's that's already built or that's already through financial close? The reason that that decision has been made is that we we have um, so much work to do in New South Wales. We have a fantastic national electricity market that's capable of, um, of, of supporting some aspects of projects. And if investors want to get on and build their project um, and then come, for, come to the tender later, then we think that's in the best interests of New South Wales electricity customers. And the worst thing for us to do in designing an intervention like this would be to say, um, actually, if you're at financial close, then you're not eligible for our tenders because that would have meant everyone just stopped and, um, and that would have been a real problem. So everyone's sort of looking to us um, for guidance, whereas 
what we've decided is to support and facilitate the wholesale market, um, support and facilitate projects kind of getting to that last mile. And if investors are willing to take that risk and build and then come back, then that's great. Um, and we have seen a full range of strategies in this tender from people um, approaching us two years before financial close um, right through to um, to people who are kind of under construction or in the later stages of construction. And they are all very welcome in our tenders. The And, and then in that tender, the product that they are bidding for is, is effectively an insurance contract. So it's designed to protect against two risks because in our policy analysis, these were the two risks that were preventing investment. Um, risk one was the absence of long-term contracts and, um, and then the risk that those long-term contracts addressed was very, very low electricity prices in the future. And so investors were worried um, that, that there would be interventions or that there would be um, technology change over 20 years that, that wiped out the wholesale electricity price. Um, and there was, there was a lack, because of market structure and other things, there was a lack of PPAs to support those projects. Um, the second risk was change in law. So you know, the contract provides some fairly healthy change in law protection to, to projects to insulate them against um, intervention and some of the impacts that that will have. When we looked at the NEM, they were the two issues that were preventing um, the transition from progressing at pace on for, for variable renewable generation. And so the Altesa um, you know, is a is a pre precise instrument to try and target those two issues with the market. Um, because of that, it's a flaw. So it's a it's a it's a put option um, that projects can use, and so it's not it's not a um, it's not a traditional swap um, that people may have seen through a CFD. Um, if projects do exercise that put option, then it acts as a swap for that for that period. Um, but they don't have to exercise the put option. So we, we've been really encouraged to see projects um, come to the tender with PPAs or come to the tender with a contracting strategy that involves supporting smaller retailers, that involves contracting with corporates. And they're all things that we want to do. Like we want to support the contracting market. We want to grow that market. Um, we don't want to be taking capacity out of the market unnecessarily through through government intervention. So, hopefully, that's answered the question, David. Um, but yeah, happy to happy to follow up further on that one if I haven't. Yeah, well, just um, just probably make mention of the fact of what the prices were, which was um, thirty five cents or below thirty five dollars a megawatt hour for um, solar and below fifty dollars a megawatt hour for wind. But as you suggest, it's an insurance product, so it's probably the minimum price needed by those projects to get bank finance. But as you said, it's not the actual contract prices, what which is effectively what you see in the contracts for difference, which were a feature of the ACT government, and which were significantly higher, albeit you know a couple of years ago. Um, so basically, I guess this means then, um, Brad, is that unless the prices fall back below $35 a megawatt hour in the case of solar and $50 a megawatt hour in the case of wind, then it's not going to cost the um, consumers anything at all. That's correct. And that's our hope. So our hope is that we address these two market failures. Or well, no, let, let's, let, 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 let's hope that the wholesale prices actually do go down, but I suppose that won't encourage much investment. But anyway... <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think part of the strategy is that if consumers are paying out under those contracts, that they're okay 
because electricity prices have fallen to such an extent that that the consumers can wear that cost. Are are you allowed to say whether those prices surprised you or were you kind of expecting something in that order because it is just an insurance contract? I wanted I wanted much lower prices than that, Giles, so I was I was disappointed. Oh. But I I think the I think that the market will grow to understand the value of a 20-year put and the and I can see it and 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 that 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 involves um, equity investors learning to understand um, just how valuable that is and their and their debt financiers um, learning how valuable that is. Um, so my expectation is that once once that is better known, um, you know, we should be able to deliver better prices than that for New South Wales electricity customers. The and. And the, the, the main reason that works is that the contracts market will do the heavy lifting for, for making these projects viable. We are a genuinely an insurance product. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and it, it's just a very valuable thing to be offered a minimum electricity price for 20 years. Um, it, it's incredible. And you get to keep the upside. So I, I can see why it's very appealing to investors. Um, I'm not yet convinced. Most of the upside. Yeah. Most of the upside, that's correct. We do take a little bit back for consumers, uh, David. Um, I'd like to get back to the battery uh, part of it or the storage part of it. Um, so what, um, um, you're holding another auction. Um, you said there's sort of 600 megawatts will be released over four I mean, four auctions. I mean, I think the grand total is is two gigawatts, I think, of, um, of long duration storage you want um, to, to auction, but 600, giga, 600 megawatts over the next four auctions. So the next one starts, I think, at the end of this month. That's correct. Right. Okay. So you, I mean, when you sort of said that pumped hydro doesn't seem ready, I mean, do you think they might be ready in this one or be, or, or perhaps further down the track? I mean, it's probably wrong for you to try and suggest who might be, who might be bidding and what sort of technology might win. But um, I'm, I'm just trying to sort of work out what you meant by that. So um, what the yeah. So when when I said pumped hydro, pumped hydro can come when it's ready. It it just takes a long time to do um, the geotechnical work, the procurement work. Um, the the commercial design to to allow a pumped hydro project to show up and bid and the the people working on those projects are doing a fantastic job and it's it's really just when they're ready they can show up and and there is there is a lot of um, as you've said two gigawatts there's a lot of capacity to go during this time period Mm -hmm. Um, also between now and 2030 Um, we, we, we want to support those projects as early as we can because um, that gives us the best shot of having those projects commissioned when they need to be commissioned. Yeah. So to sort of get that, and, and it does take time. Um, so I you know, hope some come back in this tender um, and I hope we have some new projects as well um, emerging through that process. Yeah. So, so did you have any pumped, pumped hydro contracts, um, projects in the final um, financial bids for this one? I won't. I won't talk to that specific question because it's sort of tender, tender sensitive. Um, but but we certainly have um, a deep pool of pumped hydro projects, either sort of active um, or, or planning on being active in our tenders. And more battery projects. Um, yes. Yeah. Definitely more battery projects as well. And the again, you know, everyone is assessed against the same set of criteria. And you know, to summarise that into two two buckets, um, you know, one is is your project 
um, is it is it deliverable? And by deliverable, we mean is it is it capable of being built? Does it does it align with um, sort of the cultural heritage requirements and community requirements in doing that? Because we think that's all that's that's sustainable building of energy infrastructure. And then the second is does it deliver value to New South Wales electricity customers? So irrespective of technology, um, everyone's assessed in the same way. Okay. Are you looking to? Are you look, sorry? Just one more question, David. Um, are you sorry. looking to sort of finesse the um, LTSs at all in any way after the feedback from the first one? Just the structure of the LTSs. I, I think we are definitely open to changing it and even changing it quite fundamentally over time. Um, I don't think we're ready to do that um, for the second tender because we we want to give the market time to absorb what's a very new product um, for many people. And one of the things we discovered engaging with investors and developers is they are very busy. They've had a huge amount thrown at them by government, by people like us. um, And there's a huge amount of change. And so that change creates a transaction cost and a burden for those parties. And so whilst we think there are some ref- refinements that can be made over time, um, we're going to do that with a with our eye on on that sort of customer experience um, because we don't want to be we don't want to be sort of throwing something new at people. But yes, we've got lots of ideas for how we could make it better for both investors and consumers that we're we're thinking through. It's like Bob Dylan; you've got a head full of ideas. Uh, I, I wanted to come back to the. Uh planning side of things and i guess i have two questions in in in, in this L, in this initial el tessa uh, contract award most of it was for solar but of course solar competes with rooftop solar and in my mind it's fundamentally easier to build solar than wind and and the uh, prices uh, probably possibly reflect that uh, but do you ha- does AMO services have in mind when they award all of the VRE contracts that there's some uh, balance between wind and solar that would be desirable? Also thinking, I guess, about portfolio impacts of imports from Queensland and Victoria, you know, that will produce a lowest, a best long-term result for New South Wales consumers. Yeah, it's a great question, and we do think deeply about that. We we haven't published um, specific targets for technologies, and um, we we sort of avoided that on purpose. Um, but what what I will say is that when we assess projects, David, we we assess their their value to consumers. Um, so it's a it's a cost benefit analysis. Um, we do stochastic modelling. Um, or something close to stochastic modelling, where we look at 42 different future scenarios. Um, some of those scenarios are really stressed, and so we look at like downside cases where um, the prices prices are very very low, um, and we we sort of push the model to give us really the lowest possible prices um, for for different technologies, and. Um, so in doing that, we then we then come back and assess projects against those price curves and see what what would the outcome be for consumers. What are the expected payouts under these contracts? In that analysis, um, wind looks better, and 
in particular, um, wind that is consistently, wind that has a profile that results in the displacement of gas in a trading interval looks better. And so whilst, whilst it's, it's an imprecise science, um, wind that displaces gas has enormous value to, um, to electricity consumers. Um, that's not to say solar doesn't have a very important role um, particularly as we get more storage into the system and the NEM, you know, the NEM sort of works its wonders around, um, around smoothing that, smoothing that volatility. Um, but we do look at all of that value in, in how we're assessing projects. That's good. And uh, the other thing that I always wonder about is this uh, four hour versus eight hour battery some of us that have been looking at overseas markets will see that in California, for instance, you have a four hour capacity credit market. Uh, and anyone who looks at the daily balancing market in any of the NEM regions will quickly see that the marginal value for every additional hour of storage is less than the hour before. So one hour storage is worth uh, typically worth more than the second hour and that's why batteries have so far been built small and and you know with an eight hour battery i sometimes wonder how the developer is going to get a return for those last four hours i mean you know you've got to charge up for eight hours and I, 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 do you think about that at all yes definitely and and if you look at the potential the potential like i'm, I'm assuming this is the analysis you've seen as well david like if you look at the potential incremental revenue from an incre incremental amount of duration. Um, it you know, Half an hour to one hour, it goes up. One hour to two hours, it goes up really steeply. And then the, the increases start to slow. So you're getting less revenue for incremental duration. And, and you know, beyond four hours, that really starts to plateau. So, so your kind of incremental benefit um, in a modeling sense is less. Um, what, what I think is the the potential flaw in that analysis is that people are underestimating volatility in the market. And so if you look at, um, if and, and this is a critical market barrier that's preventing the transition in my view, um, if you look at historical volatility and you compare that to the amount of volatility that you can produce through a pool price forecast in a in a sort of plexos style model they're dramatically different and um, what we're seeing with batteries that are getting built in the market today is that they are massively outperforming their investment cases um, and and that there's a mispricing of volatility in in the NEM for these products I think the same is true for longer duration storage. So the policymakers in New South Wales have looked at these markets um, quite wisely, I think, and said, um, actually, the, the pool price models are, are telling us that there's there's not necessarily value there, but um, there's a whole range of things, a whole range of um, tail risks, a whole range of risks to consumers, a whole range of other issues that mean that those longer duration batteries do have an important role to play uh, in, in what we're trying to deliver. So, so that's, that's the thinking, David. Um, but I, I agree that if you look at it through the lens of a, a sort of a pool price forecast model that, that everyone's kind of using in the market, um, it's, it's, it's not intuitive. Um, but I do think we've got some fundamental issues with how we're forecasting some of these risks as the transition progresses. 
Fascinating stuff. Um, Brad, I'd like to just ask the basic question is, I mean, you guys are in charge of rolling out this um, this plan, 12 gigawatts um, generation to gigawatts um, long duration storage. It really is has to be in place if we're going to phase out the coal-fired power stations. There's already question marks about whether we'll have enough in place by the time that Araring is due to close in August um, 2025. Some speculation that one or two units might be um, kept on. There's even, well, I don't know whether it was misplaced talk by the uh, new New South Wales government that they might actually buy back the coal generator. I can't imagine that happening. But from your point of view, from your vantage point, what can you sort of tell us about will will there be enough capacity built by that time um, to allow for the coal generators to retire at the current timetable or even quicker? <laughs> yeah, so I think there's in, in anything of this magnitude, um, there there is risk, and um, there's there's a lot of good people thinking about how to mitigate and manage those risks for consumers. Um, on from from AEMO Services side, we're producing a report called the Infrastructure Investment Objectives Report that plots out the next ten years of tenders, and so that that shows the volumes that we think are necessary to deliver. The lowest costs for consumers, um, and that lets investors look at the market and say, you know, it becomes predictable what's going to be delivered over over that period, um, and we're confident we can deliver against that plan. Um, now, the other feature of that report, Giles, is that it's dynamic, and so when we did the initial planning, um, the the demand forecasts ranged between 40% of current demand and 400% of current demand. And so I think it's also important in that in that planning context to acknowledge that we're working in a very dynamic market and we need to be um, on our toes and willing to revise our plans, willing to admit our mistakes. So based on what we're seeing, you know, that transition is progressing well. Um, but there are lots of risks. There are lots of things that will change. And um, I think we just need to be um, humble and honest about the fact that Australia's never been through this before and we really need to work together to make sure we do it well. So I, I guess the message is be flexible. So the current timetable should be enough, but you never know what might happen when you're trying to build stuff and connect stuff and commission stuff and, um, and what have you and, and get supplies for things as well. So. Um, who knows? But vice versa, we might find a coal-fired power station just unable to continue for, for whatever reason. Um, I had a look around at Liddell during the visit on um, last Friday on the day it closed, and I couldn't look. Looking at it, you just wonder how these people who work there actually managed to get it generating at all. Um, it's, it's quite extraordinary. Um, maybe just sort of we probably should wind down now because we've um, gone probably over time. But um, so the next auction happens at the end of this month. Have you got any indication of how big that will be? Um, similar similar sorts of size, so around a gigawatt of generation and um, roughly 600 megawatts of long duration storage. Okay, and you've got another um, tender running at the moment too, which is for the um, short duration storage. It's the firming capacity, which has been specifically identified by AEMO as needed for the replacement of a rowing. That's for like up to, or no, sorry, at least 380 megawatts, I think, in the big load areas. And you're looking for either demand management, which is interesting, because that's the first time that's been done. And also, but, um, but possibly, um, well, my assessment is it's either going to be demand management, which would be a first, um, or another big battery. So um, when do you expect results of that to be um, or how's that progressing 
Yeah, so that that's in market at the moment. So we're expecting the initial responses back in a couple of weeks, and then there's another sort of month and a half for people to um, refine and submit financial bids. It would be um, super exciting to get some demand response into that tender. And again, we're we're heavily orientated towards consumer outcomes and cost. And when you look at the European markets, they've traditionally delivered demand response at half the price of greenfield batteries. Mm -hmm. And so that would be exciting. Um, there's a range of kind of barriers and things to change, things that need to change to, to for sort of that to flow through at the magnitude that, that we'd like. But um, we are, we're also here for, for the next 10 years um, doing this. So we're really happy to, to kind of work with people to unlock that. So hopefully it comes through in this tender. If not, there's a there's a sort of bright future for those technologies. Well, I'm, I'm, ha I'm happy to unplug my laptop or even my electric vehicle whenever you ask, um, but I'm not too sure it's going to be quite the capacity you're uh, looking Brad, for. But <laughs> Brad, could I ask uh, just one final question? So, you know, my thing is that this has been a very long running process and this is the, like, I think we've already been going for three or four, four years, I can't remember when I first wrote a report about the New South Wales roadmap. And it's still got this very back end focus, it seems to me on, on delivery, which is fine. But I guess from where you sit as, as one of the principal architects, I, I think of the whole thing, really, um, can, can, are you still confident we're going to get the 12 gigawatts, uh, you know, by, uh, built by 2029 with the required demand response and firming uh, bits and pieces as well? Yeah, good, good question, David. I, I think the the generation side of things um, will like that. There's a deep market for, and and so there's lots of projects around. the The constraint will be when the the transmission um, and distribution networks fill up, and um, no, both of those both of those sort of operators or NSP categories have, have continued to find and unlock capacity that's allowed that generation to be built. So huge appetite around the, the generation. Um, similarly for, for firming, um, that, that is a deep market and there's lots of, lots of proponents and investors um, with, with great projects that, that can do that. Um, delivering the long duration storage at, at a cost and time that is uh, that is kind of right for consumers is is I think more of a challenge and so across those targets you know, that's the one that we are um, that, that we're most most concerned about and most focused on um, and and it can be done all of these things can be done um, but we have to do it at a cost. Um, that is acceptable to consumers and at the lowest cost and risk to those consumers. So that's the challenge, David. It's it's about making sure it's done at the right price. So, so yes, uh, I'll take that as a as a hopeful yes, but not not not. It didn't come across as a, I'm 100 percent uh, confident that we're going to get there. Um, I, I think anyone who is sure of anything in this transition is is a tad naive. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much. 
Uh, Brad, I've probably got more questions I'd love to ask you, but um, look, we've taken up enough of your time already. Um, we do thank you very much for joining the um, Energy Insiders podcast this week and um, good luck with the um, next tenders. And it's been fascinating to see the results of this first one. And uh, we hope to be equally fascinated and um, and doubly reassured <laughs> next time. No, and thank, thanks to you both for, um, for providing this service to the market and continuing to beat the drum. I find it really, really valuable. And I know lots of others do as well. On, yeah. Thanks very much, Brad. And uh, that, that'll be the end of part one of this podcast. We'll be back in a moment with part two. back to part two of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm joined here with uh, David Leach and uh, we've just heard Brad Hopkins from AEMO Services um, in New South Wales. Um, David, um, following the comments from Brad and also the results of the tender, uh, you more less or unchanged on your expectations that we're going to have enough capacity in the market to close all the coal-fired power stations in the current timetable or even in the 1.5 degree timetable, which we're not yet on. I don't know about the 1.5 degree timetable. Uh, I think the thing that um, brings home to me time and time again is just that the transmission infrastructure within New South Wales, whether it's ready. I mean, the 700 uh, megawatts from that solar farm in in New England, uh, of which only 400 is officially committed. I mean, you know, that's going to start chewing up daytime capacity on the on uh, the transmission line there very quickly. Um, the Irana transmission things not doesn't get done until 2027. You, you know, the difficulty is not so much doing the projects. And I mean, the Altesses are going to be awarded uh, constantly, but it's just making sure the projects are built, connected and, and delivering energy that I see as the primary issue. I do agree with you, Giles, that the eight hour battery is extremely interesting. Uh, at the same time, given RWE size, um, uh, 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 it's 50 megawatt, uh, 400 megawatt hour battery is, is not going to make or break that company. So they can afford to take a bit more risk. But I also agree very much with Brad's comments. And I think it's one of the most many useful things he said is that batteries consistently outperform their models. And and, and this is it. Batteries, batteries are worth more than they seem to be. Mm, that's interesting. Another um, point uh, about the um, whether we're going to get enough generation is someone just mentioned to me the other day that uh, there hasn't actually been a new wind project approved, getting a sort of um, planning approval um, in New South Wales since 2021. So there's a lot of projects being approved there sitting around for a while looking for an opportunity in the market, whether it be through this sort of series of auctions or through sort of individual contracts, but not much new supply. And I guess that could come down to um, could come down to um, bite everyone's bum at some time in, 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 the, in the future. But look, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens in the next stage of the auctions, as you said, with batteries. Um, and we're certainly starting to see, you know, um, I think it's really interesting um, just, just what role we'll play with uh, battery storage and how much of the pumped hydro and other sort of, you know, what we sort of traditional sort of long duration storage will actually sort of get a hold in the market. Um, David, not much else to sort of talk about, of course, apart from the fact that um, Liddell did close last week um, as planned. And um, I did have a trip out there and it was actually fascinating to see. Um, just sort of first-hand, the coal generator, um, and also just the people who worked there. I mean, it was such an old piece of kit. They loved it dearly because um, a lot of them have been working their, their lives for it. And got to give them credit for actually keeping the damn thing going as long as it did. And I think they got a bit of a pat on the back at the um, at the final meeting when they were told it was um, actually more reliable in the last few months than the Bayswater 
coal generator was. So that just goes to some, some talks to their innovation and their de dedication, but it was certainly time for it to go. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what the timeline for the remaining generators um, are going to be, um, starting with Liddell, I suppose. I'm sorry, not Liddell, Iraring. Yes, look, I hope the, um, uh, I've seen lots of old coal generators and everyone's always sheds a, a crocodile tear or two when they go. Uh, I'm really looking more forward, forward and I'm thinking about, you know, the fact that household batteries could do an awful lot uh, in, in, uh, to, to help in New South Wales, for instance, in the next few years. They could do a lot. And the New South Wales government, instead of talking about buying back a raring, uh, could just look like, uh, you know, giving the federal government uh, renewable energy credit, small schemes thing that we get for solar panels. Why not? Why not let that apply to household batteries and, you know, really encourage their take up in this heavily unit build market where, where, where we could do so much more so, so quickly if if, uh, if the New South Wales government uh, just, uh, you know, uh, and even the federal government pays attention to what uh, EMO says is a good way of doing things or models as a good way based on cost. Uh, that a, you know, we don't give storage much of a leg up here, really. No. So guess what? There's less of it than you might expect. Well, that's right. No, that's, uh, that, that's exactly true. Yeah. Um, so um, Smart Energy Conference this week, that's going to be um, interesting to see um, um, uh, some good speeches. Um, just one of the things about sort of connecting sort of um, household batteries and household rooftop solar systems as well is the report that came out from AEMO, which points out that um, less than a third of new installations are correctly installed with the inverter settings, which is actually quite a big issue because as rooftop solar gets to play a bigger role in the grid and sort of, you know, um, into south, in places like South Australia um, accounts for just basically all of demand at some stages. Um, if the inverters aren't installed correctly, then um, then that reduces the ability to actually sort of control those systems properly, and then it means a heavy hand of sort of you know shutoffs and cutoffs um, needs to be implemented. So that seems to be an issue and one that may come up at the Smart Energy Conference. David, look, I think that's probably enough for this week. Um, thank you very much once again to you and to Brad Hopkins from AEMO Services. Everyone out there, of course, our advertisers Evergen and Pylon, and uh, we'll be back next week um, with another episode of the Energy Insiders Podcast. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen software is powering the energy system of the future. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals.